This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parshas Inu 5783, Pasuk Mem The Torah is not an empty thing that belongs to you. It's not something that's just a nothing, a thing that we do, right? It is your very life. And in this thing, you will lengthen your days on the ground that you are passing the Jordan River in order to go through. This is how great this idea is, that the Torah is. It's supposed to be something that's going to be your lifeblood. Everything about you is going to be through here. So we're going to do, over the next two weeks, we're going to have two shiurim that are basically about learning Torah properly. We're going to go through stories Story after story, as many stories as we can about these ideas. And it's going to be based on one Pasuk from this week's Pasuk from Azinu and another Pasuk in Pasuk of Zabracha. Let's go. The Abarbanel says that the Torah must not be nothing if your life is dependent on it. If obviously, if the Torah is telling us your life is dependent on learning, that is your life. And it says, then it must be that it's the most important thing in the world. The Malvim adds on that, of course, you have to send your children to go learn Torah. That's something that should be obvious, that once you start learning, you can't stop yourself. And so, too, I guess when it comes to kids, you have to make sure that that's the first thing that goes inside their head before they get anything else. They have to learn Torah. Rash says it's not for nothing that you learn this Torah, you wear yourselves out over it, because so much war- reward is dependent on it. It's your very life to learn it because you need to get that reward afterward, which is shocking. Where Rashi is trying to tell you, learn the Torah in order to get that schar, learn that Torah in order to get that reward. So what is that reward? Divin Ezra says, Yiras Hashem Tosif Yamin. The fear of HaKadosh Baruch who adds on days to your life. You'll live a long life. You'll be zolcha to live in Eretz Yisrael, says the Ibn Ezra. You'll be zolcha to live in Eretz Yisrael. As well as not being in Gullus, being away from Gullus itself. That's how Rashi put the Ibn Ezra puts it. The Amalui says the difference between learning Torah and making, the, making money in this world and making some parnasa is that you'll never be able to take that money with you in the next world. But any Torah that we learn is automatically going to go even if you forget it. It's coming with you and it'll be there. Gam ki elich begeit he quotes says me, I'm always. Even when I go to the valley of the shadow of death, because the Torah that I have will go with me and that'll protect me wherever I go. So the more I learn, the more I put myself into, the more I get into it, then the more I'll have for myself when I get to the next world. That's the concept behind it. The Chizkuni says, if you don't learn Torah, you'll never know if you ever did anything wrong. This is why your life is lengthened. There are so many people out there who have no idea that what they're doing is wrong. They think they're correct because in their basic knowledge that they learned when they were 12, 13, 14 years old, this is what they grew up with. So when they got their bar mitzvah lessons and they learned how to do something, they just continued it for the rest of their lives and they have no idea that they're wrong. Anybody who's learned Chumash a second time after you were through grade school realizes there's so much there and we've barely touched the surface. We've barely grasped anything that's right there. Says the Chizkuni, how can you expect to live a life? How can, how can you expect to be rewarded for anything? If you don't learn the Torah, you don't know what's going on. For that reason, I highly suggest that anybody gets involved in a halacha seder. I mean, we learn halacha on Tuesday nights, but somebody who has a seder during the week to be able to learn some type of halacha, to be able to live their lives in a different way, that's exactly what it's supposed to do. But one time, an older man who can aptly be, des- be described as an Amaaretz approached Rabbi Yitzhak Zoberstein with an issue. His daughter had decided that she wanted somebody who was going into learning. So they found a guy, and she was set up with a certain young man. And the young man expected that the parents 
help pay for his dira, this is obviously in Eretz Yisrael, for his apartment, as well as give them a monthly stipend to be able to go through while he's learning. And this guy, who Rabbi Yitzhak said, the guy does not know anything, he goes to shul every day, but he knows basically what he reads out of his sitter, and whatever perush and whatever commentary is on the bottom of his sitter, that's basically what he has and nothing more than that. He said to him, he said, why would I do such a thing? Why would I do such a thing, said the man? Why would I pay for something? What am I getting out of this if I'm paying for my son-in-law to be able to go through? That's what he asked Rezovershin. Rezovershin, you could think of a bunch of different answers. You could think of these hashkafic answers. You could think of a different answers. But it takes a brilliant mind to say this. He said to this man, you know, there's a lot of halachos that deal with Shabbos and Yom Tif that you probably don't know. Having a son-in-law who's learned who's able to sit and learn Torah and be able to tell you the different things that happen on Shabbos and Yom Tif is something that will save you from doing Averos. This man will come home and help you keep Shabbos correctly, keep Yom Tif correctly. That's worth thousands of dollars. You would pay thousands of dollars for someone to stop you from doing something wrong. So why wouldn't you pay a son-in-law to be able to stop you from ever doing something wrong from that point on? Like, can you imagine if you didn't have a proper calendar, how much you'd pay to get a proper calendar? So you know when Yom Tif is, you know when Rosh Hashanah is, you know when Yom Kippur is, how much would you pay to be able to get that proper calendar so that you know exactly whenever Yom Tif is? If you're willing to pay that for a calendar, you might as well pay that for a son-in-law of such caliber to be able to help you along the way. That was a cute way of answering the question, but that's based on what the Chizkuni says, that not learning the Torah properly will lead you, I guess, not allow you, but lead you to start doing wrong things, and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, Rashi has another explanation on this. Rashi has a totally different explanation. He says, there's nothing in the Torah that you will not be rewarded for if you expound upon it. And again, he's concentrating on skar, on reward, which is something we'll bring up a little bit later. But then he goes on. And he says, even the psukim at the end of Parshas Vayishlach, at the end of Parshas Vayishlach, there's almost 40, 50 psukim that deal with Esav's children and grandchildren, Esav's family and Seir, and all these psukim that have nothing to do with anything. It makes Vayishlach an unbelievably long Parsha when it really didn't need to be. Vayishlach does not have to be a very long Parsha. Right, Yaakov, you know, sent the, the, the messengers to Esav. He had the whole deal with Esav, and then he went back to Eretz Yisrael. You'd think that would be the end of the parsha, and yet Esav's children and grandchildren take up a huge spot. So says Rashi, even those psukim, the sister of Lotan was Timna, and Timna was a Pelegish, a concubine. Those are important. Those are important, says Rashi. And Drushes are learned even from those psukim, and he gives an example. He says, Timna was a queen, a princess, whatever it was, of a certain nation. And she wanted, she would give anything. She was willing to give up her princesshood and everything that she had in her nation, she was willing to give it all up just so she, should join, she could join Klau Yisrael. She wanted to be a part of Klau Yisrael again. She wanted to be a part of where B'nai Yisrael were. She was willing to give everything up. She wasn't accepted by Avram. She wasn't accepted by Yitzchak. She wasn't accepted by Yaakov. So in the end, she went to Esav. She married into Esav's family. She didn't even marry Esav. She married Eliphaz. And we all know that Timna in the end was the mother of a Amalek. That Timna ended up giving birth to a Amalek. Even this, even this as a lesson. And the simple lesson is that Avram Avinu's family was so well respected at the time that everyone wanted to join him. Everyone wanted to be involved. But there are other lessons as well. Listen to this. The Mayan based Shueva says, as we know, Timna was the mother of a Amalek. He probably taught, she probably taught him everything that she knew. Of course, 
she must have told her son of her desire to marry into Avram Vinu's family and how Avram rejected her and then Yitzchak rejected her and how Yaakov rejected her. And Amalek wanted to come and fight B'nai Yisrael because of that. How dare they reject my mother, who wanted so badly to join the family, was rejected time after time after time again. How could that have happened over here? It's, it's unbelievable to think of. Chazal tell us something amazing. As long as we learn Torah properly, Amalek will never be able to do anything to us. It's only when Rafidim, Rifyon Yadayim in when we're weakening our hands from Torah, we don't learn properly, that's when bad things happen. That's when we have a problem. And that's what we learn from Timna. A Pusik that seems unnecessary. That as long as we work hard and become the people that would reject a Timna, that would reject somebody who saw what our family had, just the covered and wanted to enter it. If we become those people, then a mullik has no power. And that's what those psukim teach us. Says the Mayim Beishweva, that's the Kanta behind it. Darsh Moshe says another lesson over here. One should never give up trying to be mashpian others. It may seem to you that the amount of hashpa you're having on other people is, is negligible, negligible, if anything. That I'm doing something, but come on, who's really learning from it? Who's really getting anything from it? Like maybe you think that I keep saying this one thing to a, a relative of mine, a friend of mine, a guy that I know, and it's not doing anything to them. The guy's not going anywhere. I expected by this time that that person would be fully from. I expected by this time that that guy would go to yeshiva. Maybe that's how you feel. Says Ramosha Feinstein, you have no idea what kind of an effect you can have on others years and years and years from now. Maybe it's one year 50 years from now because of one thing that you did right now. Says Ramosha, never stop, never stop. And that's what we're learning from these psukim, to constantly be involved. Because Avram Minu spoke to person after person after person, took him person after person after person, even the ones that were rejecting him, the ones that said, forget it, we're not doing this, and the ones that left the Eishel of Avram Avinu, even they were affected in some way even if you don't see anything right then. That's an amazing lesson for Ramosha Feinstein. The Ayala Sashaka, Aaron Leib Steinman also speaks about this, but they both have that same basic idea. The Sifzei Chachamim says it's clear that every Pasuk in the Torah is necessary, and that's another lesson that we're learning from this Rashi, that every single Pasuk has a necessary component, something that we can learn from, something that we could take from, and that's important. The Balaturim says there are tagin on the kuf of the word rake. Now, normally, there are no tagin, there are no extra things. It's only on shatnaz gates, meaning shin, ayin, tes, nun, zayin, gimel, tzadi. Those letters have little crowns on top of them. A kuf normally does not have that. There's one little thing, but there's no normal tag, no crown on top of the kuf. But this, this kuf has one. Because even the crowns of letters have tremendous halakos that can be learned from them. If we only knew how to do so. Rabbi Akiva was able to do so. We have absolutely no idea. Is another shot that he explains from the Belzer Rebbe as well. The Belzer Rebbe goes into this. But the Balaturim says that this is the idea behind the word reik. That, that I, it's almost to say, habor reik in bomayim. That some people look at the Torah and they see it as a pit. That's empty. There's no real water inside there. There's nothing there. But that's why this puzzle is It's not empty. You just don't know how to look for it. You don't know what you're looking at. What Victor Miller says, not only, obviously, we're trying to say that every detail of the Torah is important. And yes, there are some words that we're never going to understand. And some parts of the Torah that we're always going to wonder about. And never understand why that S was thrown in there. Or why this word might be thrown in there, etc. But there's so many details that are 
filled with life-giving qualities. That's the concept. That it's not just that you're doing something in Torah. It's giving you ev- everything because it's the endless wisdom of a Baruch Hu. There are certain parts of the Torah that you really will think as superfluous. Words that seem again and again and again. But for example, Don't cook a goat in its mother's milk is mentioned three times in the Torah in that expression, which is such a weird expression. Instead of saying, don't eat meat and milk, it says, And the Gemara tells us one is for an Isser Bishel, that you can't cook it. One is for an Isser Hanah, that you can't get benefit from it. One is for an Isser of eating, that you're not allowed to eat from it. That each one has a significance. There's something to it. You just have to find it. That's the idea behind it. And that's where Hirsch says, it shouldn't be, you shouldn't be indifferent to it. You shouldn't feel like there's nothing there for you. There is. You just have to find it and something will hit you. And maybe more than one thing. You just have to keep looking for it. The Meshachachma says an interesting application. He says there are times where a person is not allowed to learn Torah. For example, you're in a bathroom. You're in a bathhouse when people are naked. You're not allowed to learn Torah during that time. That is a time where you're supposed to be empty. You don't have the Torah within you. You literally are rake, empty of all the Torah within you and can't do anything about it. The Torah Tamima talks about this as well. That may be why at the end of the Pasuk it says, And in those situations where you don't have the Torah and you can't, by following this halacha, by stopping yourself at certain times from learning when you know it's not the right thing to do, then you're accomplishing halacha, which is so easy. Not learning inside a bathroom, not learning inside a mikvah. That's the idea behind it. There's a famous story with the Sfasamas. I, I, I can't tell you like what this means exactly, but the Sfasamas one time took a, a guy, brought him a safer for him to look at all this chidushim, and he was looking through the safer and he's looking it through, right? And he suddenly gets to a certain page and he goes, whew. He said, you thought of that chidush in the bathroom. <laughs> How anyone can figure that out by reading or seeing the Dvar Torah, I have absolutely no idea. The truth is, most Hasidic rabbis, I can't understand how they do what they do. They're amazing, absolutely amazing people. Says the Meshachachma, that's another way that a person can apply this Pasuk, to empty themselves of Torah in a place where it's supposed to be. But, this is extremely important. He says, it's very, very difficult to allow people to work in businesses or go to places where there's no Torah around? How can we allow people to do such a thing? To put themselves in a situation where they know there's no Torah around them. Now, some people can do it and some people can learn in a place even better. I have a brother that did an amazing job by being by himself in a certain place for a long time. He was able to do amazing things that way. But it's a very, very difficult thing to do. You can't allow yourself to be a Vato Torah just to make that parnasa. And again, this is a question for every individual to be able to figure out. But that's how the Meshach Chachma looked at it, that a person has to be super careful about it. Now, Alshech, it's also about the Yalkagir Shuni and the Mechah Tov. They both say, if someone doesn't know anything about math or science... You can honestly say, okay, the guy is not knowledgeable in math or science, right? He's just a guy who doesn't know math and he doesn't know science and that's that. He's missing that chachma. But here's the problem. A Jew without Torah is not just a person missing Torah. He's not a person. He's missing his life. That's how he says it. says the Alshech, Ramosh Alshech. He's like, you can't say there's no such thing as a human, as a Jew without Torah. That's like saying there's a body without an neshama. It's dead. There's nothing there. 
It's as if he has no chiyas at all. That's the idea behind it. This is not something you can say is just rake. It's just, he's empty of it. He just doesn't have it. He doesn't have any Torah. No, you can't. That is, that is not a person. That's kiyu chayechem. That's the idea behind it. We're going to speak, we're going to say some stories about this. Yeah. So, meaning there has to be something that they have to get involved with. They have to. And I'll give something based on that, Ali. I'm going to. So, Aleinu Shabbat brings an unbelievable story. He says, before the, before the Arach HaShochem, Rabbi Chiyom Michal Epstein, before he became the Arach HaShochem, the Rav and the Vardik, and the famous, famous Rav that he became into with all the Halachos, I don't know if anybody knows that, the Arach HaShochem has two sets of Sfarim. There's the set of Sfarim, the Arach HaShochem, that he has on all of Halacha of the Shochan Arach. Get it? Shochan Arach and Arach HaShochan, right? He made that. Rav Epstein made this unbelievable safer that Mamish goes through all these halachos, everything the Shochan Arach says, plus a thousand other things. It was like the Mishnah Bura right before the Mishnah Bura, but with everything in it, and his own opinion on everything. The only difference is the Mishnah Bura added all opinions, even the ones we don't hold of. The Arach HaShochan says, you can go, you can paskin straight like his safer all the way through. That's Arach HaShochan. But you know what else the Arach HaShochan did? Aruch HaShokhan wrote an entire eight-volume set on the set of laws that we have nothing to do with. The Aruch HaShokhan HaAsid, he writes. The Aruch HaShokhan HaAsid. It's eight volumes on Kadshim and Taros and Zrayim, all the things that the Shokhan Aruch doesn't speak about. It's just as big, if not bigger, the Aruch HaShokhan HaAsid. And it's a, it's a phenomenal safer. I am not Zohar to have ever learned it. I used it to look up things certain times, but I've never learned it. I don't know who learns the Aruch HaShokhan HaAsid. But that's how great of a genius Rabbi Chiyo Michal Epstein was. So before that, before he became a bigger up, he owned a Makolet. He owned like, you know, a Shuk Makolet. And people would go in and buy their stuff and that's that. But he, didn't, he was never inside there. He would sit and learn all day. His wife would be the one to open up the makola, take care of the store, make sure they had enough parnasa to live, and he would mamish, just sit and learn all day long while his wife took care of it. It may have been in his name, right? But the Aruch HaShokhan walked in only once a year. And he walked in once a year to greet the tax collectors of the government who needed him to sign on to the receipts of the store or whatever it was. The Aruch had no idea anything, what was going on in the store, but he walked in once a year, and he signed the receipts, and that's that. The rest of the year he spent in the base measures, never stepped in, never asked his wife about anything. Parnas in the store, never did anything else. One day, a few Balabatim saw Rav Epstein walking the streets, like, looking for something. Like, he's going around, and he's searching, and he has no idea where he's going. So they go up to him, and they said, Rav Epstein, what, what are you looking for? And he's like, where's my store? He had completely forgotten where his store was. He couldn't remember. He hadn't been there since the year before. And he had no idea where the store was. No clue. I would guarantee, and again, it's a different type of person. But if you had taken Rav Chaim Knievsky three blocks away from his house, three blocks, just three, and I'll give you, let's go with like the regular blocks, not the city blocks, you know, that are half blocks. Three full blocks away from his house, I guarantee you he never would have found his way home. Never. Maybe he would have like sniffed out his farm. I have no idea. But he never would have found his He's ne- He never would have been away from such a place. That's the craziness of a person like that. He was so shocked in his learning, he couldn't think about anything else. He couldn't even remember where the Makola was. It's a crazy line. The Chavetz Chaim gives a great marshal for this, an unbelievable marshal. Imagine a wealthy man approaching another wealthy man and telling him he loves the furniture in his house. 
and he says, you know what? Your furniture is so exquisite, beautiful furniture. I want it all. I want to own all of it. Your couches, your beds, your refrigerator, your table, your chairs, everything. I want to take it all for myself. He said, how much you want for it? So the guy said, well, how much I want for it? I spent a fortune putting this all together over the years. Probably cost me $10,000. So the wealthy man writes out a check for $10,000 and says, I'll buy all of your furniture from you right now. He's like, it's not worth it for me, says the guy. He's like, I, if you buy all my furniture from me, I have to go out and buy new furniture again. Right? So granted, you're giving me a check right now, but I have to go out, I have to do this, and I have to do that. It's just not worth it for me. So the wealthy man says, okay, listen, I hear you, I hear you, but I really want your furniture. I'll pay you two times the amount that it's worth. You said it's worth $10,000, I'll give you $20,000. So the guy says, like, $20,000, it's still not worth it. It's still not worth it. Like, I hear you, and it's great, but to literally refurbish my entire house, what am I going to do for the next couple of days? He's like, you'll stay in a hotel. I, I don't want to stay in a hotel. Look, I'm good with my furniture. Thank you so much. He says, okay, five times. I'll give you five times, and I'll give you $50,000 for everything inside your house. So at a certain point, right, the guy's like, all right, it's worth it. At a certain point, I don't know what that point is. Five times the amount, eight times the amount, 10 times the amount, whatever it is, at a certain point, it is completely worth it. Now imagine, forget about furniture for a second. Let's say you built a house with your own two hands. You were an unbelievably handy person. You built up an entire house exactly the way you wanted it. You have the kitchen exactly the way you want it. You have the dining room, living room, your bedroom, kids' bedrooms. Everything is exactly the way you wanted it. And you built it with the best materials and everything out there. So a guy goes up to you and says the same thing. Hey, I'll buy that house from you for its market price. You're going to say, no, I don't want market price. That I built it with my own bare hands. I did this on purpose. I want, I'm not doing it to sell it. I'm keeping it. The guy offers you, you know, let's say the market price is $500,000. So then he offers you. He says, I'll give you a million you're like, kind of like, uh, you know, I, it is with my hands, but a million bucks is a million bucks. Then he says, two million. Then you're just like, all right, deal. Deal, right? You're willing to do it. Okay, let's give a third case. Let's say a guy goes to a doctor and the doctor tells him, look, you're really, really sick and there's something in your bloodstream. You're not going to live past this week. You need eight pints of blood. Eight. How many pints of blood do you have in your body? Eight. So either way, so I, he said, right, I, you need all eight pints of blood. You've got to get rid of everything, and you have to flush out your system. So he goes to the blood bank, and the blood bank's like, for some reason, we have nothing. Nothing. Maybe he was like, I don't know, he was like double O positive AB, whatever, you know, and he had like some weird blood, and the blood bank says, we have nothing for you. We have absolutely nothing for you. So the guy finds a guy, another person in the street, and he says, what blood type are you? And he's like, oh, O positive, A, B, negative, right? And she's like, oh my gosh, you're my blood type. I'll give you a million dollars for all of your blood. So what's the guy going to do? Is the guy going to say yes? Million dollars. Give me $20 million and I'll give you all of my blood. No one is giving away all of their blood because they'll die. What's the point of $20 million if you're just going to die right afterward? That doesn't make any sense. That's the pshat, says the Chavetz Chaim. You'll eventually sell your house. You'll eventually sell all of your furniture. But you won't sell your blood because that's your whole life. That's what Torah is. Torah is not just a table. Torah is not even your house. Torah is you. It's your lifeblood. It's the reason why you exist. 
That's the idea behind it. How in the world could you sell it? You can't. That's the lesson behind it. What an unbelievable marshal, isn't it? I love it. There's like a way of muster, by the way, of building yourself up. Rav Dessel was an expert at it. Expert at building yourself up to get the muscle done. It's an unbelievable thing. He used to talk about a friend of his from his youth, Rav Shlomo Akoin. Shlomo Akoin from Vilna. He was very sick when he was younger, Rav Shlomo Akoin from Vilna, to the point where the doctors told him, if you continue to learn, you'll die. That's what they told him. If you continue to learn, you're going to die. He was putting his all into his Torah learning. He couldn't stop himself. So if he learned, he was just going to pass out and he was going to die. So that's what they told him. They said, you can't learn. So he told them, he said, I understand what you're saying. I'm not going to argue with you because you are the experts in medicine. But I know myself and how connected I am to Torah. And I'm telling you, if I stop learning, I know I'll die. So you're telling me, if I learn, I'm going to die. And if I stop learning, I'm also going to die. I'd rather die learning. That's what he told them. That's what they're still going, told them. I'd rather die learning. So he continued learning. And for some reason, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him Siyat Tidishmai and he continued to get Rafuah Shlema. Those are people who are fully connected. Fully connected. These are not me or you. These are not regular people. These are people who are known for being these unbelievable Talmud Chachamim. The Al-Kirishuni says, we know no one can live forever. Obviously, no one's going to be able to live forever. But there are ways to somewhat live forever. There are ways of doing that. By having your children follow in your footsteps and continue what you started. Then not only are you living, but you're living vicariously through them. You're also living in Olam Haba from the merits that they create and anything that happens. And by the way, that's not just sons. That's not children only. That's Talmudim as well. People that have done things because of you are also in that category. You also have that category over here. Thus, teaching Torah to your children, to a Talmud, is not a dover rake. It's life at stake. It's actual life at stake. That's the idea behind it. Yeah. What do you say, Dave? Elio. What about there are examples of just Elio Navi and Chanoch that didn't die as, I guess you could say, like ideas of what a person could be. I'm sorry? Right. There was something that was given to Elio and Navi that's different from everybody else. I, I, not by us, not anymore. And Chanoch, remember, is too far back. It's even before the Mabel. So you're dealing with things that are beyond, beyond what we had. Elio Navi, by, by, by the way, is Machlok has shown him if he ever died or didn't die or if he's gone from the world or if he's still in the world. That might be a little bit different. But regardless, we know that there are even the four people who never sinned. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Yeah. So, th- this, okay, there's in Derech Eretzuta, Perak Aleph, at the very, very end. Derech Eretzuta is at the end of Avodazar. It's like the Mesechtos Ketanos. So Derech Eretzuta, at the very end, it mentions nine people that went to Gan Eden alive. But we don't know what that means. Essentially, they all died. We don't know anything. Like one of the people mentioned there was Yaivitz, the son of Rabbi Yudah Nasi. We have no idea who that is. He's not mentioned anywhere else in Shas and Poskim, aside from one place in Derech Eretzuta, Perak Aleph, where he's somebody who Mamish never died. Rab Yaivitz, the son of Rabbi Yonasi. There is a Yaivitz. Asniel ben Kanaz is known as Yaivitz. But it's not this Yaivitz. We have no idea who he is. So I, I can't tell you. Those are on a different category. But the four people, the Gemara says in Baba Basra, on Tazayin, on Yud Zayin and Aleph, they never died. Right? Bin Yaman, Amram, Kilav, and Yishai. Right? Those four people, they didn't sin, and yet they died. So we see that even normal people, by regular normal people, it seems that it happens. Yeah. 
Yes, Derech Vazasher is there. Mashiach is there. Elio Anavi is there. On the list of the the nine people that didn't die. Hiram, king of Tzur, Evan Melech Akushi. A lot of them are not Jewish, by the way, which is super super interesting. A lot of them are not Jewish. Yeah. Yaakov Lomes is a drush, though. And that's in Tainus Dafei. And I want to say it because Tosis definitely takes it as shot. But I have a whole idea behind why, why Tosis said that. That Yaakov Inu Lomes in Mitzrayim, but he really died in Eretz It seems that we hold the Yaakov Inu Lomes nowadays means a drush that he's alive through us. But he really did die. Although the Gemara seems to take it as he didn't die at the time and only died later. There's a Cheshach Shlomo on it right there in that Gemara. Right, right. That's the idea of yeah. Yeah, so they, they obviously have something. We don't, like, we don't know these things. You know, like, obviously. And who knows if Yaakovino is still around today through somebody. I, I don't know. That, those things, I don't know. All right. But now comes the famous Dvar Torah. And everybody knows this. You shall me pay in Parakal of Darshans. If you feel the Torah is empty, im reiku, if you feel it's empty, this Torah doesn't make any sense to me. There's nothing here that I like. Me chem. It's you. It's not the Torah. It's not the Torah itself that's empty. It's you because you don't know how to learn it properly. So that's the wording of this Gemara over here, the Pasuk over here. Kilo davareku. It's not an empty thing, the Torah. Mikem. It's you. It's you. You haven't put your all into it. You haven't concentrated on it. So of course it feels empty to you. Rebbe Hanan Wasserman says there are many times where Tosis will ask a question on the Gemara. A tremendous question. It seems to slug up the entire sugya. And then he goes on as if nothing happened. Rabbi Akiva Eger has an entire sefer called Kushos Atsumos. Kushos Atsumos. It is exactly what the name implies. They are strong questions. That is literally what the entire sefer is about. The strongest questions in the world that should make you go off the derech. I'm telling you right now, Rabbi Akiva Eger didn't go off the derech. Didn't go off the derech. I, on my smallest, tiniest little level, have five questions that I don't think will be answered. They're not even asked, asked, by any Meforshim on Chumash. And they're such simple pshat questions. You'd think it would be the first question people ask. So far, I found two of them somewhere, whatever it is. It's not sending me off. It's like somebody saying to me, like, how do you explain the dinosaurs? You think I'm going to go up to Shemayim after 120? I'm going to be like, how could you explain a Tyrannosaurus Rex? That's why I went up the Derek. That's not why you went up the Derek. Not because of a chicken-armed little, you know, freak. Like, that's not the reason why you went up the Derek. Like, Tyrannosaurus Rex was an excuse because you wanted to do something else. Yeah, I've got issues, and I can try to figure that out. I've got seven answers, you know, to try to answer what's going on with the dinosaurs. Are they great answers? No. Do I care? No. Because it's clear we got the Torah, and it's clear that we have a job to do. And later on, at some point, someone's going to come up to me and explain how Sue, you know, the dinosaur, the Tyrannosaurus Rex in the Field Museum, right? How Sue existed and how that was. And if somebody goes and tells me that, oh, you didn't realize the giants were together with reptiles back then before the Mabel and they created freakazoids that had like really messed up little arms and stuff like that. I'd be like, I knew it. And I'll say like, that's crazy. And I'll say something like that. But this doesn't bother me. It shouldn't bother anybody. That's what Elkhan Wasserman says. Well, people go on and they're like, clearly the Gemara is wrong. Clearly that shot is wrong. Clearly that's not there. Do me a favor, okay? When you finish Shas 10 times, then you can tell me that the Gemara is wrong. When you understand how Gemara goes from Brachos all the way until Nida, and you've done it all. If you, you know what? Forget about Gemara. If you've read all of Chumash, 
If you've read all of Chumash and you've done all of Chumash from beginning to end, I'm not even saying Tanakh, you little babies, because again, we're not girls. We don't learn Tanakh. I know. But I'm not even saying Tanakh. When you finish the Torah from the beginning to the end, then you can tell me this doesn't make any sense. Until you've done that, you can't tell me anything. Because you know why? Because I think, and I know this, you're wrong. <laughs> and the Torah is right. You just haven't learned it well yet. Maybe go through it a couple times, and then maybe it'll start to make sense to you. Can you imagine some guy opening up a calculus book? He's in fifth grade. He opens up a calculus book. He's like, this stuff is garbage. Garbage. I don't understand a word. He's, like, he's looking at like you know deep, deep concepts of science that people have spent, like Stephen Hawking is spending years and years and years on, and he's just like, it doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't like, this safer doesn't make any sense to me. And he flushes it down the toilet. Now, great, I don't mind you flushing it down the toilet. I could care less. I could care less about that. But it doesn't make any sense to me that these guys, who are brilliant minds, brilliant, brilliant, they are geniuses beyond anything I can ever hope to be, even have a slice of a dea in what the Torah is saying. I could care less what some guy who's been at Harvard for 50 years wants to tell me about God. Because he's never learned anything about God. So what, he has his own experiences? The guy's a messed up loser who's been in Harvard for 50 years. Who does that? He's just a loser. So I should listen to him about his problems and his biblical criticism of what he thinks of the Bible? Dude, no, no, you have nothing to do with anything. And again, I, I don't mind saying it. Like, I, I'm, I'm perfectly fine going up to a person and saying, oh, you don't understand that, Kamara? Oh, how many times have you done it? Once, you fool. Oh, you didn't even do it once. You just read it on a blog from someone else who's more messed up than you. Oh, and you're coming up to me and you're saying the Torah must be wrong because, look, I saw Psachim Dapsadi Dalit. Well, dude, do you have any idea what Gemara came before that, before it goes through there? Do you have any idea what Gemara came after that? Have you ever learned a Rashi before? Have you learned any Rishonim or Akronim in that sukkah? Nope. I just have seven words. And it's clear the Talmud is wrong. Dude, I feel so bad for you. Because if you're this messed up now, imagine what your kids are going to be like. Okay, that's just, they're just going to hear that from you, and they're going to be like, I don't understand Torah, and you're just going to be like, come on, like, it's just going to be a perpetuating, a self-perpetuating prophetic message that's just going to go straight through until everybody and whatever it is, and that's what Rebbe Chana Wasserman said, he's looking at it, he's just like, Chazal had intentions that you can barely understand when you read them, and you think you're getting it, and you're like, I have a day, no, you don't, you don't. You don't, they've spent years honing. Can you imagine that one guy who got in Gemara for that one line and you're like, man, that line's so dumb. His whole life is in that line. Mamish's whole life is in that line. And you're like blasting him. I can't wait for that guy to go up to Shemayim for 120. And Reb Zuroi goes up to him at the end of 120 and says, yeah, I heard you made fun of my line. And she's like, it sounded silly at the time, but now I'm scared. <laughs> like, of course you're scared. You go, of course. What were you thinking? Chavitz Chaim says there are those who don't want to wear tefillin. They wouldn't wear tefillin because it didn't make any sense to them. They think, said to the Chavitz Chaim as a marshal, they think that their heads are too big for their tefillin to fit. But it's just the opposite. In fact, the tefillin are too big for their tiny heads. They have these tiny little heads with these little tiny itty-bitty stegosaurus brains right? Since we talk about dinosaurs anyway, you might as well go into the stegosaurus brain, right? And say that you have a brain the size of a walnut. 
And the reason why your tefillin doesn't fit you is not because your head is too big and the tefillin are too small, but rather the tefillin are too big and your head is too small. So I'm sorry you met with that you know, head-shrinking guy in South America, you know, shrinks heads and whatever, and does, I don't know if that was racist, but I, I, this does something, and that's that. Like, that's ridiculous. Can you imagine a man goes up to a tailor and he asks him to make a beautiful suit for him, and he makes it, and he, according to all his dimensions, whatever it is, right, makes the suit, gives it to him, the guy goes home, comes back a couple months later and goes to the tailor and says, I don't understand. You gave me this suit, but it doesn't fit me. So the tailor says, what in the world, right? He looks at all of his old cheshbonos, looks at the guy, and he's just like, you're emaciated. Looks like you haven't eaten in two months. And the guy's like, yeah, I'm very, very sick. I've been very sick, so I haven't been able to eat much. Well, of course the suit doesn't fit you. It's not the suit's fault. It's that you yourself haven't been eating. What do you expect? Of course you ruined my beautiful suit. What do you think? That's how the Chavetz Chaim looks at that. Imreku, if it's empty, Mikem, it's you. Imagine a guy running into a store, grabbing diamonds and pearls at the Chavetz Chaim, running back out and throwing them into a fast-moving river. Right? Just throwing them into the river, and the river starts washing them away. Everyone in the store runs after them, and they try to grab them, but they realize there's nothing there. The jewels are gone. Some people, this guy must be insane. What was he doing? Why was he grabbing it inside? Another guy says, not necessarily. Maybe he hates the guy who owns the store, and he just wanted to make him lose, even though he didn't necessarily want to steal. It doesn't make a difference. No matter what it is, right? He obviously did not hop how much those diamonds were, or he never would have thrown it in the river. It's the same thing with Torah. When you see people making fun of halachos or making fun of Torah ideas or something that's out there, it's just a person who has no idea what he's touching. He has no clue. He has no idea of the diamonds that he has. He's just throwing them in a river as if they're absolutely nothing. He just has no clue. That's what they're making fun of. Yeah, Dave. So, are you saying good? And I, I appreciate everything you're saying. You're on fire. But a uh, question is, does that work in the opposite, like for chumras and things that are more stringent? I hear you. in the other way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are times where a person can be stringent on something where Chazal clarified this halacha and told you that it's mutter. And you're saying that you think it's usher? For what reason? Yes, it can. It's dangerous to do that because sometimes there are chumras that we're supposed to have and whatever it is. But I, uh, yes, uh, yes, you can apply it. Don't you think that sometimes people make fun or, or, or have issues with things because of things that are for sure, that's not what I'm talking about. Agreed, agreed. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the basics. I'm talking about the basics. I deal enough with the people who make fun of Torah as it is, right? Or make fun of Sidurim as it is, or make fun of whatever Chazal say. I don't even need to go into something like that. I know we have issues just with this itself. That's the idea behind it. Now, that's that. I'm, I, there's a Miam Louise over here and a Torah more as well, but I'm going to skip I'm going to skip that as well, as well as the Chidah. The Nesivos Olam says that the word Mikem is the gematria of a hundred. Meaning, you know why you don't get it? Because you only went over it a hundred times. When you get to 101, then you'll understand it. And that's the idea behind the Gemara. The Gemara says, if you learn it, Pesachim Nunem Adalaf, right? Happy is a person who goes to Olam Abba and his Gemara is in his hands. Likan is the Gemara of 101. With 101 times. That's a person who goes to Dvashlafi says, Torah Tziva Lanu Moshe. Tziva is 101. The Gemara of 101. Torah Tziva Lanu Moshe. If you go over it 101 times, then you'll get it. Then it'll be there for you. Tanit Beirelio Zuta. Says in Parak Yudalit, says it was a man who was making fun of the Torah. Elo and Abi asked him, what would he do on the Yom Adin? What are you going to do on the Yom Adin? You go up in front of a Kaddish Baruch what do you think is going to happen in the Yom Adin? What do you think God's going to tell you? He said, Rebbe, I'm going to tell God 
He didn't create me with a mind to be able to learn Torah. I couldn't learn Torah. I didn't have the ability to. He made me dumb, and therefore, I can't. I can't do anything. So he asked him, what do you do for a living? And he said, I'm a trapper. He said, how do you trap this certain type of bird? He's like, oh, you, in order to get that bird, you have to know the following. He gave him all the facts behind this bird. Then he told him everything he needed to know about where the trap or whatever it is, and all these, all these details. And Eliano, he said, I don't understand. I thought you were dumb. You clearly know a ton about trapping, and you know a ton about birds. Where do you learn all this stuff? So he started to cry. He's like, you're right, Rebbe. That interests me. The Torah never interested me. Right? That's what he said. And that's Shapian, the Apostle says, the part is Yosef. You can never claim it's rake from you, because there's always something that you know. You just have to find that. Find that thing that you know, and concentrate on it. Use it within the Torah itself. There's another one that's Ferris Shlomo, the Radomsker. It's also, it's brought down in Hasidim. It's not only Radomsker, it's also in the Degomach and Ephraim, about the idea of Mikam itself, how it represents everybody in Klai. So I'm going to end with this. Famously, the words, Ki, Lo, Dover, Reik, Hu, Mikem, is the gematria of 679, which is the gematria of gematrios. And that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. The Chidah brings that in the name of Rabbi Yudah Chassid. The Rokeach and Rav Chaim Paltiel all bring it down. That Kilo Dovarekum Ikem is Gematrios. Even the things that seem to be random. And I think Gematria gets a bad rap. You hear one guy get up there and darshan at a Sheva Brachos in Gematrias, and you're just like, oh, you can make a Gematria about anything. First of all, no, you can't. Try it. Okay, you're a liar. Try it right now. Just make it about anything. Just make a gematria, right? And if you say, like, Zeh is 12 Shvatim, and I'll be like, oh, that's actually, that, that is a gematria brought down by the Balaturim. But everything else, you know, it's hard to make, especially 669, 679, I'm sorry. 679, you're going to come up with a gematria like that? Bravo. <laughs> Bravo. You spent that amount of time, I'm totally okay with it. Completely okay with it. But they all say that. The truth is, there are even halachos that are based on gematria. There's Gomorrah and Brachos, Chasim Aleph, Yuma, Chafam Aleph, Makos, Chav Gimel Abez, Nida, Lame Chasim Abez. We only know that a Nazir is 30 days. Nazirus is 30 days. Stop Nazirus is 30 days. Because of the word Yihiyeh, written by a Nazir, which is a Gematria of 30. We learned that. That's Halacha. We hold the Halacha. It's 30 days from a Gematria. There are Gematrias that go all over the place. It's one of the 32 meters of, of Rebbe Allah, the son of Rebbe Yosef Galili. The Rambam the Ramban, I'm sorry, in the beginning of Sefer Gula says there's a Kabbalah in the hands of the Chochmei Atalmid that Moshe Rabbeinu was given certain gematrias from Hashem as a Zecher and Os for things that were given Baal Peh. That that was the purpose of gematria and it was done on purpose. So before a person makes fun of a gematria, and I know there are some gematrias that are fit to be made fun of. There are some out there that are like that. But before you do it, just remember, Kilo Dover Reikumi Ken. These words, Mamish, these words tell us that everything is for real. There's always something, there always, there always is a connection to Torah. We have to remember that when we go through so we don't just make fun of things for the rest of our life. Let's go, everybody. We'll stop with that. Have a great Shabbos.